Welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome. This is the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. Super glad you're here and um, got a good show for you today. This is part two of our interview with Brian Elwood, uh, who's a rock star wholesaler. He's in my mastermind. Uh, I just got back, actually, about a couple hours ago from the mastermind. Brian wasn't there. Slacker. <laughs> just kidding, Brian. <laughs> there's like, it's it's a big mastermind. I think there's about 120 something people in it, maybe 100 to 120. And so we have it's kind of like four different groups, so you don't see everybody all the time. But um, Brian, you guys have heard the previous podcast, hopefully, and you, hopefully, and if you haven't, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com and listen to it. We talked about some really cool things in there. We talked about KPIs. Um, we talked about managing your business by the numbers, which is really critical, and Brian is really good at that. And so there was a lot of things. We wanted to do a part two. And uh, I wanted to pick Brian's brain some more about you know how he's doing deals virtually, kind of what he, who does he need to have on his team to make all that work? Because uh, it's a lot easier said than done, but it can be done. So first, guys, I want to tell you, please go to realestateinvestingmastery.com and check out the show notes for this show, for other shows. Um, sign up for the Fast Cash Survival Kit, and you'll get email notifications when we release new episodes. And... Just a bunch of other cool stuff. All right. So, Brian, how are you? Thank you for coming back. I'm great, Joe. Thanks for having me. Cool. So, listen, um, last time we talked about some really cool things, managing your business by the numbers. I, I wanted to dive a little more deeply into you're doing deals in Nashville right now, and you live in Colorado. Isn't that right? Yep. All right. So, why did you decide to move? And... Why did you decide to continue doing deals in Nashville and not just try to do deals in Colorado? Well, that's a great question. So, um, you know, funny, it actually traces back to the time when you were our coach two or three years ago. Yeah. And we said, I was just thinking about that. Yeah. And we were um, doing deals in Nashville. And um, I think we said to you something along the lines of, hey, we'd like to start um, flipping houses in another market. Like we think Houston looks good or, you know, we threw a couple of markets out there at you and your advice to us was learn to run your business virtually from, you know, your own house uh, while you still live in that city uh, first. And then from there you can, you know, go into another market, et cetera. Um, and so we, we took you up on that. We tried to build our business in middle Tennessee in such a way that we could run it without ever leaving our house there in Tennessee. Yeah. And so then once we did that, we tested that theory and moved to Colorado, which is just somewhere that, you know, I had always wanted to live. Uh, I told you on the last podcast, actually, that we made a spreadsheet and did a big, tour of the uh, United States and, and picked, you know, our ideal place to live. Uh, and by then we had already had the business set up to run virtually. So um, it was a bit unique because a lot of people will pick 
a market to go in virtually that they've never actually lived in that city or done any deals there. But we already understood Nashville because we I, I'd grown up there. You know, we'd been in business there for a handful of years. Yeah. So it was easier for us to do deals virtually because market knowledge is a huge, huge piece of virtual investing. Uh, and had we not understood the market, we would have really had to get like a rock star realtor or a mentor to teach us all the ins and outs, this street, that street, this pocket, that neighborhood. Really? So we knew what we were doing. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I was in Nashville a couple of weeks ago, and I don't remember if we talked about this before, but um, I've always thought of Nashville as kind of like this country western town, you know, a lot of cowboys or people in trucks listening to country music everywhere. Uh-huh. That's not the case. You go down there, at least where I was, and it's just filled with a bunch of hipsters. Like, you know, <laughs> kids in their 20s and 30s, you know, that are dressed I don't is can you still use the word metrosexual or is that uh is that like offensive and probably borderline. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, but you know what I'm, yeah. I that was stupid. I shouldn't say that. But like there was uh you don't see very many trucks down there. You know, you see a bunch of people with cool haircuts and trendy glasses <laughs> and, and and shiny I don't know. <laughs> you must have been in East. Nashville. But I've heard that from several other people too as well, right? Okay, well that must have been where that's I was. That's the uh, hipster area. Nashville is a very yeah. unique market though, you're right. I mean, it's like a lot of activity going on there right now. A lot of new construction, tearing down old properties, building up new ones. And it's growing like crazy. I remember thinking, too, how many tower cranes I saw around the city. And it was just a lot of new construction, which is exciting. So you think – I think it's really good advice. Um, mm-hmm. Trying to do deals virtually in your own backyard first before you try doing it in other markets. That's really uh, – that's a good perspective. And I'm glad I told you that because it's it's definitely true. Yep. You can still do deals virtually in other markets, but you might – it's just going to take you a little bit longer to you have a little bit longer learning curve, do you think? Yeah, it's going to be harder for you to do deals virtually in a new market than it is going to be to do it in your own backyard. Because if you've already got a business that's up and running in your own backyard, then you already have some of the pieces in place to make that business virtual. You already understand the market. You probably have an acquisition manager. You have marketing that works, but you don't have a few missing pieces. Like you might not have a construction manager, you know, with a proven process where he or she, you know, goes over there and with the inspector and takes the right pictures and videos and runs accurate repair estimates and all that kind of stuff that you have to plug in so that you're not doing that any longer. But if you can't make your business virtual, uh, the one that you have right now in your own backyard, there's really no point in, um, you know, moving on to another market because that's going to be harder to do. So you need to prove it in your own market first, I think. Yeah, that's a good point. Real good point. Well, let's talk about hiring that kind of a acquisitions manager person, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, you can close deals over the phone, right? You can negotiate and close deals on the phone. But if you're doing regular traditional wholesaling, well, even with lease options, you're going to close more deals when you can actually meet the seller belly button to belly button in their house at the kitchen table, right? Absolutely. There's, uh, I, I think a lot of people that are listening right now know who Sean Terry is and have a lot of respect for him as a, a real estate educator and an investor. Yeah. I think he's the one who kind of deserves the credit for um, having the epiphany that more appointments is better. 
in, in this business. So, and maybe it was Todd Toback or they, I remember they, they talked and, and they kind of came out with this big message and it works. So the, the more times that your sales guys go on appointments, the more contracts we get. I actually looked back through years of data that we now have mm-hmm. where I compared the amount of appointments our acquisition guy went on versus the amount of contracts he brought back that week. And every time I'm telling you without fail, where he went on 10 or more appointments, he always brought back, you know, a couple contracts. Wow. But weeks where he went on two, three, five, six, there'd be zero or one contract. It was, it was, I'm talking like almost 90% of the time that that theory held true when I actually looked at our data. So one mistake that a lot of newbies make is they kind of hang back at the house and they wait for the perfect deal with the perfect word where it's going to be a real easy deal. You know, maybe the seller already agreed over the phone to the price and, you know, there's nothing scary about the situation and they just go over there and get the contract. But yeah, that's not the best way to do it. You know, the best way to do it is to, to go on 10 to 15 appointments every single week, which is why, you need to hire somebody because that takes the entire week. You know yeah, because I mean? you just like when you said that, I was like, "Oh my gosh, that's like overwhelming." Right? <laughs> Who wants to do that? That's their only job, right? You know, we don't even have our acquisition guy analyze the leads or come up with the offer price. Right, we actually right. give that to them ahead of time. They do run the repair estimate because somebody has to do that in person, so it makes sense to teach them to do that since they're going to be at the house anyways. Yeah. But then, you know, but our goal is to remove everything from their responsibilities so that they can just be getting in front of people all week long. Yeah, you know, um, that's so important. And and let me just let me throw in a plug for the mastermind that we're a part of. It's it's called Collective Genius. And I'm a part of three different masterminds. All right. One of them is a nation a national mastermind for real estate investors it's called collective genius it's amazing that's the one brian is part of and his business partner frank um, which is really really good there's also a, a local wholesalers mastermind that i'm a part of with local wholesalers and then um there's an internet marketing mastermind i'm a part of but the power of masterminds because what brian and i are going to be talking about on this podcast hiring acquisitions managers we have spent countless hours talking about this concept and this stuff in the mastermind, talking about like, okay, what are you guys doing, and how how did you find the right people to do this for you, and what are some of the hiring and operating procedures, and what are the KPIs to track, and what kind of things do you look for in these people? Would you? And being in a mastermind like this, when you when you get to kind of get together a couple times a year and just talk business, and people are a complete open book. For the most part, you know, I mean, they they say, listen, this is how this is a marketing that's working well today. The, you know, there was uh, when when I when I first started going to the mastermind, everybody, not everybody, but most people were getting their deals off the MLS or were getting their deals from um, foreclosures and and uh, realtors and things like that. And then there was a transition and a shift where that stuff didn't work anymore. So more and more people started doing direct mail, and as they were doing more and more direct mail, they realized. Wow, you know, we need to get some help in hiring acquisition people. So everybody kind of in the whole mastermind was in this journey together hiring these kinds of people. And then having guys like Sean Terry who's in the mastermind as well and and Todd Toback who was and you get this kind of best practices 
from the, some of the best investors in the entire country. So I just want to throw a quick unsolicited plug. I don't get anything out of recommending this, but it's 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 just you got to get into a mastermind and get into the best one that you can. Uh, okay, so you're now doing you're you're now living in Denver. You're doing deals in Nashville. You have how many local boots on the ground folks in Nashville, Brian? Acquisition managers or just in total? Alice, both. Uh, okay, there's two two outside sales reps and one inside sales rep. Well, the inside sales rep's actually not local because he's just on the phone all day. Um, but aside from the two outside reps, there's probably five or so more people that are living there in Tennessee, boots on the ground. Okay, and what do they do? Well, one of them is uh, our what we call reno manager, renovations manager. Okay. So do you, do you still have an, do you still have an office there? Is that what you're saying? Or do they work from home or what? We've never had an office. So everybody works from their house and in the field or the coffee shop or wherever they want to work. You know, we don't, we don't care about, you know, them sitting in a chair from nine to five. We only care about results, KPIs. So what she does is she goes out and looks at the properties, you know, and uh, before we close on them, and then goes over there once a week and takes pictures and videos during the rehab just to make sure that the contractors, you know, staying in line. Everybody knows that that has to happen, who's done rehabs before. And we have a, a guy who's our lead manager. So he doesn't actually need to live in Nashville, but he does. Okay. And what he does is just analyzes leads all day long. We've got a few thousand leads at this point. So, just going through those regularly and running the numbers again to see if we can make higher offers and, you know, et cetera, trying to kind of mine the database for gold has become a worthwhile position to have in our company. We have a full-time marketing guy now, which I wish we would have done that the very first day we got into business. Someone who does marketing full-time. I feel like the the biggest business lesson I've ever learned is like, you got to focus on marketing and sales like 80% of your time in the uh-huh. beginning. Uh-huh. You know, uh, the book, Ready, Fire, Aim, Michael Masterson. Oh yeah, great book. Actually says, while you're under 1 million in revenue, 80% of your focus should be on marketing and sales. And when you get past a million- And nothing else. Yeah, and when you get past a million, it, it, it dials back a little bit because you put infrastructure and stuff in place, but it's, it wouldn't be less than 50 at that point. I mean, it might go to about 60 and that's 80% of your time, your resources, your manpower, the money you spend, et cetera, on marketing and sales, because no business has ever gone out of business because they didn't have a set of shiny MacBooks for everybody. But the only reason that businesses go out of business is lack of sales, which come from marketing, of course, those two are tied together. So that's a bit of a tangent. I'm sure you appreciate oh, that. No, no, no. Uh, listen, I know you're huge into marketing. Listen to this, but, man. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm taking this MBA class, right? And uh, uh-huh. I, I have one class left, and then I graduate with my MBA. And this is embarrassing. I started my MBA in 2004. <laughs> so it's been 13 years, baby. <laughs> I don't need it. I just want to finish the stupid thing, you know? And, <laughs> That's uh, great. Oh, I, I hate it right uh-huh. now. So I had a, a test last earlier this week, and um, <laughs> it just, oh, it's frustrating. But here, the reason I brought this up. I'm sure 
it frustrates you because it's probably missing a lot of the stuff you well, think it should have. The, the yeah, program. I'm not claiming to be like a super important business expert. I don't even have my MBA yet, but um, I was there's a, the chapter we're reading it right now. This is a capstone course, right? This is a, like the last class, and it's a strategic management class, and mm-hmm. they're reviewing the value chain. And if you've ever taken business school classes, you, you study the value chain. And the primary activities in a value chain are the following. And and I want you to tell me if you can see what is wrong with this. Step number one is inbound logistics. Step number two is operations. Three, outbound logistics. Four, marketing and sales. And five, service. What do you think is wrong with that list? Marketing and sales should be number one. Exactly. Now I don't even understand what logistics mean, you know, for a new business. I mean, oh. maybe that matters for Coca-Cola or somebody, but I mean, most people are, you know, if you look at the average revenue of entrepreneurs, yeah, it's like most people are under a hundred grand a year or under 200, you know, if, like if you look at a pie chart. Right. So they don't need that kind of advice. Well, okay. And I get it. If you're like a hundred million dollar a year company, obviously if you don't have logistics and operations working, doesn't matter how good you are at marketing, okay. But they do. They break. They give us different uh, types of value chains here for retail, for example. And in retail, marketing and selling is last. And in engineering, marketing is fourth out of fifth. And uh, I'm just thinking, especially with engineering, because even in engineering, where you're designing bridges and you're designing structures or whatever. Unless you have a client that you can design that stuff for, you're not going to make any money. You're going to be out of business really quick. So marketing, marketing, everything is marketing and marketing is everything. And, and I totally agree with that 100%. Uh-huh. And I, I'm sure if you were to you know, pick apart this author's brain who wrote this and, and really dig down into why or whoever is an expert in value chain management, like you know, they would probably agree with us. But I think one of the biggest problems we have in our in our education system today and what what we're churning out of our colleges with these business majors is people they complicate it too much and they forget about the basic most important things and they spend and waste millions and millions of dollars in research and development and testing and product development and all of this stuff to come up with a product or service that they haven't even figured out if people want yet right and there's if you get creative mm-hmm. you can find ways to sell a product before you actually make it or, or sell a service before you can actually spend all this time in creating it all right so that i don't know if that was a tangent or not but we were talking about marketing as being the most important thing and i got this stupid mba class in, oh, yeah. in the back of my head right now all right so obviously acquisitions is an important part of the business you got to get deals and I thought it was really interesting. You you said that you would have hired a marketing person, a full time marketing person, sooner than rather than later, right? Yeah, like if if someone's just getting started and they can afford, okay, so maybe they're not just getting started because most of the time when someone's brand new, they don't have any money to put towards hiring people. But let's say you either do have a little money, or you've already done some deals and you've generated some money that way. You have a little money coming into your business. The first three hires for me would be acquisition manager, 
marketing director and an office manager and the office manager would um, take all of the, the bee stings away. That's what Frank and I call them. Like if you don't have an office manager, you'll suffer death by a thousand bee stings because yes. you have to, you know, or paper pay the marketing guy and, you know, review. Yeah. Paper cuts. Um, so th- those to me are the three most powerful positions because those allow you to work on the business, not in the business, uh, and to grow a business that's going to be strong in the right areas, marketing and sales. Yeah. And then around that, you can flesh out the business. You can bring in leads, bring in contracts, decide how you want to monetize them and start to add systems and people on top of that. But, the, but you'll never, your business should never crash because the marketing and sales are strong because that's what you started with. And that is the lifeblood of the business. Yeah. So that's what I would do differently, like going, going back in time. That's really good. I'm looking back at when I got started because I had a full-time job. I, I hired these people out of necessity uh, because I, I realized if I was the one trying to do the marketing, it just wouldn't get done. Like I would even try to time block it on my calendar. All right, so on Mondays, mm-hmm. Wednesdays, and Fridays, I'm going to set aside an hour to do my direct mail and sending text messages or whatnot. And I'd put it on my calendar, and then I just wouldn't get done. I'd get busy, distracted, tired, didn't want to do it. And I'd go through this vicious cycle up and down of getting a lot of leads, doing a lot uh-huh. of deals, making money, and then turning around and pipeline is empty, freaking out, because you just can't turn on a switch mm-hmm. and start doing deals. I mean – You've got to get somebody else to do the marketing for you in spite of you. So the first thing I did is hired a VA, virtual assistant, to do all of my marketing for me. And it was really simple at the time. It was just sending emails and and text messages to Craigslist and Zillow. And then um, the direct mail I still did myself because that was just once a week, send a list to the mail company. But um, – mm-hmm. Then that was great, right? The marketing's going out consistently, leads start coming in, and I can't handle the calls. So the next person I hired was actually a friend to take all the calls for me, either live or return them right after a voicemail. And I paid him 100% commission. We split the deals 30-70, I believe. And he'd only get paid if we did a deal. So I only paid him when I got paid, right? And that was great. Now mm-hmm. I got the lead the marketing going out, the leads coming in, somebody's answering all of the calls and, and meeting with them in person, getting them under contract. And that's awesome. But now I'm starting to get properties under contract and I can't sell them. So I hired a realtor. These were a lot of lease options at the time. So I hired a realtor and mm-hmm. the realtor started selling these homes for me. And before you know it, literally, Brian, I'm not doing anything except managing the process. I've got my VA doing the marketing. I've got mm-hmm. my friend taking the calls and getting them under contract. And I have a realtor that's doing all the work with selling them and advertising the properties. And that's when I realized the power of marketing, automation, and delegation, as I call it. Marketing, automation, and delegation, the three keys to success. And uh, it's changed my life. It's, it's radically changed my business. And it's, that's why I get excited about this stuff, talking about it. And you get it. Mm-hmm. You totally get it, Brian, and you're, you've taken your business to an entire uh, another level that I've never had. Uh, I've never taken my business to, so that's awesome. Congratulations, good for you. I want to ask you about Brian some KPIs. How do you track your acquisitions manager specifically? Like, how do you know they're doing a good job? What are some of the numbers you look at to track? Do you give them a scorecard? Is there a system to report on their numbers and things like that? 
Sure. Yeah. So, um, where do I start here? Uh, okay. The most basic KPIs, the two most important ones for your acquisition manager is the appointments attended and the contract signed. Like if you, if you were on a desert Island, you could only see two numbers, you know, of the, what your guy or girl was doing each week. That's what you'd want to see. And we already talked about the importance of setting as many appointments as possible. Well, can we talk about, John can we Martinez, talk about that some both, more? And by the way, everybody, I apologize for the delay. Yeah. That's that's my bad because I'm on the internet and uh, Brian is on his phone. Let's talk about appointments. So like, when do you actually schedule the appointment? What kind, What is the, the temperature of the lead? Does that make sense? Yeah, well, <clears throat> ideally, you will want to have all hot leads, but that's not reality. So that's what a lot of people do is they wait until they find hot or warm leads to schedule appointments. Right. And when they talk to a seller who's not motivated, yeah. what do they say? They say, Oh, that guy's not ready to sell. You know, he, he's, his price is way too high. You know, it'd be a waste of my time to go out there. And so they don't go. And then you look at that week in hindsight, the next week, you say, how many appointments did you go on last week? Well, I went on four appointments. Like, hmm, okay, how long did they each last? Oh, you know, about a couple hours each. So like, okay, that's eight hours of work. You're supposed to work about 40 hours. What did you do the other 32 hours? <laughs> it's like, yeah. oh, I was, you know, making calls and, you know, doing emails and blah, blah, blah. It's some crap that's not going to make any money. Yeah. Making calls to set appointments does matter, and I'll, I'll get to that. But the point here is that step one, first and foremost, for an acquisition manager is fill their week to the brim with appointments. Huh. Any appointment you can get. John Martinez, we both know he's a great sales coach. He's coached a lot yeah. of the acquisition managers in Collective Genius. Yeah. He, he told us when we hired him that 12 appointments a week is about the max you should expect of any acquisition manager. Otherwise, it starts to dilute their efforts because they're just scrambling to go to more, the next one and they don't take enough time per appointment. So shoot for 12. Good. You know, first and foremost. And once you, once you get to 12, then you can, if, if you're realizing that you're filling some of those slots with cold leads that could have been filled with warm or hot leads, you have to address that in your systems and, you know, and then your process that leads to you setting an appointment. But if you're not, you know, going on 12 each week, that's, that's step one. Yeah. Because when you go to someone's house, I mean, think about the customer experience. They see a postcard, like this is weird. You know, they call, they talk to some dude on the phone. They still don't really know who you are or anything about you. Right. But then when someone shows up at the house and it's a nice person and they're polite and kind and they have some information about the company and, you know, and they're asking questions, people's walls come down. And the guy who was real cold on the phone who said he was taking 200000 take it or leave it, he could very well come down to a hundred grand once you go sit at his house and talk to him for two hours. Yep. It happens all the time. So that would be step one is just go on a lot of appointments. Other KPIs. So we use talk desk for hmm. all of our phone systems. You know, we have all of our phone members going through talk desk. And so we actually have our acquisition manager cell phone 
linked to talk desk. So all the outbound calls he makes or they make go through talk desk and to the customer. So we can see each week how many work calls they made versus personal calls. So, you know, they get divided up. And so we look at that because if they didn't go on a lot of appointments, then they better have been making a lot of calls to try to generate some activity uh, from their house. And another thing about appointments is that a significant number of them get canceled. Really? Right. You make an appointment today yeah. for next Friday. That customer might not even remember who you are or the fact that they agreed to it. Um, so there's processes you can put in place to try it. We, we started we started trying to call the person the morning of the appointment every time to confirm, hey, just making sure we're still on for three o'clock today. But we found that that actually gave them an opportunity to back out of the appointment real easily. And they did that a lot. So we started not calling to confirm it and just showing up unless it was really far away, like a really far drive. Then we would still call. Interesting. So outbound calls made and then um, appointments set. So appointments set versus appointments attended. And I was going to make a point there. Uh, let's say you want to go on that 12 appointments a week. You probably need to set about 16 at least because okay. at least four of them are going to fall through. So you always aim higher than what you actually want, knowing that some will get canceled. And then also their closing ratio. You know, how many appointments does it take for them to get a contract? Is it one in 10, two in, you know, are they getting three contracts for every 10, you know, et cetera. Uh, and then another, and these are all kind of secondary KPIs. Then another, the last one I'll mention would be the percentage that they got the property under contract below our max allowable offer. Um, so that highlights their ability to negotiate. You send somebody on there and you say, the most we can pay is 70 and they're always bringing it back at 70, then there's a lot of room for improvement there. Or maybe they're not good at negotiating. So you have to kind of be aware of that, that ratio as well. Very interesting. You got me, I'm looking at this talk desk thing here. What is it that you like about it? You know, I don't actually know a lot about it. Well, I think it was like our, our sales manager at the time was the one who identified that as being a good phone service Yeah, and signed us up for it. I honestly don't know a whole lot about what it does. Well, uh, it looks, I, I know that it's kind of expensive. It looks really good. All right. Well, I don't want to spend a ton of time on that. People need to look at that if they're interested. Yeah. Uh, talkdesk.com. A lot of things you can probably already do in CallRail, <clears throat> but this looks like it's mm -hmm. more specifically focused towards sales professionals, which is what we are. Yeah. Which is what we are. Okay. So, um, I want to mm -hmm. talk about setting these appointments again. Go back to that a little bit. I was I pulled up a script that I, I've I have found and um, I have plagiarized. <laughs> because it's not. I don't think it's <laughs> copyrighted or trademarked. And if it is, well, then I'm sorry. But it's. I don't remember remember where I found it. I found it online somewhere. I just found it on the internet. And it might be. It might be Homevestors. I'm not sure. So if it is. I'll give credit where credit's due. But it's so good because uh, I like the way Homevestors does it. They have somebody answer the phones live, which, by the way, do you, your calls you try to get answered live, is that, what, is that one of the things your office manager does? We have flip-flopped back and forth on that so many times. I believe they're currently getting answered live, but I don't actually have any data for you on which method is better. Okay. I can tell you 
Answering live is better. Always. In fact, okay. I have a, a good friend, and I won't say who. He puts on his postcards, it says, call our 24-hour recorded hotline. You always get more calls when you do that. But he always has somebody answer the phones live. And I asked him, I said, don't you get a lot of people angry about that? And he says, no, we just don't. I mean, it's, we just answer the phones. And so one of the things I like about the way HomeVestors does this is they are intention- they're trying to schedule the appointment. And let me read some of the scripts. If this is HomeVestors, I don't even know if this is. Hey, seller's name. Uh, how are you? You know, listen, in case we get, dis- get dis- disconnected, what's the best phone number to reach you at? I'm curious, how did you hear about us? And then this is a great question. What made you call us today? Right? It could be like, what's your situation? Mm. What would you like to see happen? What made you call us today? What's the address of the property? Tell me a little bit about the house. Why do you want to sell the house? Of course, that's a great question. When do you want to sell it? And then why that time frame? You know, why do you want to sell it in the next couple months? Or you know, if you're, if you're waiting for a year, why do you need to wait a year? Always ask the why question, always. All right, so mm. where are you in the process of selling the house? Have you tried listing it with a realtor? If no, why not? So since we can buy your house as is, what kind of repairs does it need? Now, then you ask the question, is it okay if I tell you how we work? And if you think we might be to help, be able to help, you can invite us to come look at the house and talk at some more length. Is that okay? Good. And this is where you describe what you are and who you, what you do. All right, so we're wholesale home buyers, Jim. So that means we are not retail buyers. We'll offer you time and convenience for a discounted sale. We can close quickly, pay cash, and you'll not have to do any repairs or pay any closing costs. But we do not buy every house we look at. So based on what we do, does it make sense for you to invite one of our buyers to come out and look at your house? So you're telling them you're not going to pay full retail. You buy ugly houses that need a lot of work, and you're not going to pay full price. Does it make sense for us to come out and schedule somebody to come look at your house, right? And then you look at your calendar, what time works best for you. You want to give them either or options. Do you want to meet tonight or tomorrow, right? We'll probably need about an hour. Is that okay? All right, so then you get that scheduled, and then the script goes on. Remember, the whole purpose of this meeting Jim, is for us to have a conversation so we can figure out whether or not we'd be able to help you. Now, I do have one request. If for any reason you don't think that we can help you or you decide that you wouldn't really want our help, are you okay with telling us no? You wouldn't tell us that you want to think it over when you really mean no, would you? Fantastic question. Mm. Right. So the whole goal of that call is the sellers to confirm Mm -hmm. that they have a house to sell, number one, and then number two, to make an appointment. With your buyer, with your acquisitions manager, right? Now, your your yeah. acquisitions manager can always, you know, call if they – we use something similar to this for um, – I don't have an acquisitions manager. I have a local wholesaler, right? So I partner with them on deals. So we kind of ask those kinds of questions, schedule an appointment if we can. But uh, that local wholesaler in that market I'm in can always call that seller back to confirm the appointment, maybe ask a few more questions, kind of dig a little more deeper into the details and stuff like that. And they can cancel the appointment if they want, but you got that appointment made. And that's so important because a lot of times that will stop the seller from calling any more of your competition because the appointment's scheduled. And, you know, so it it kind of like Mm -hmm. um, helps them come to a little bit of resolution. What kind of things do you look for, Brian, in your acquisitions managers? Do you give them, you know, Colby test or whatever, the disc profile test? What are some of the characteristics you're looking for in a good acquisitions manager? Yeah, so um, 
the Colby test, K-O-L-B-E, if you haven't heard of it, it's a great test for any entrepreneur to take themselves and give all of their team members and potential hires. And for the acquisition manager profile, um, the biggest thing is you want to have a high quick start. Quick start is one of the four ways that the Colby test rates people. And uh, I happen to be like a nine out of 10 on quick start. Like I just want to just, I find out, you know, a little sliver of information about something. I'm like, let's just do this. And then I, I screw it up, you know, but I, <laughs> but I take the action. Uh-huh. And that's the kind of person you want to be your acquisition manager. The guy who's just like, I mean, I don't need all the details. Like when am I, when, when can I go over to this house and get this contract? You know, like they're just ready to go get it done without being perfect. So you give them the Colby test. It costs about 50 bucks. I look for at least a six on quick start, but maybe like a seven or higher is probably best. Guys and girls that have backgrounds in sports, got, um, ones that are very competitive tend to work out good. Uh, another interesting trait that I've found, it, whether or not they're interested in personal development. And that happens to be probably the kind of the foundation of organized company. You know, when we exist, we examine our personal values. We're like, what's really important to us? And one of the most important things in our lives is to learn and grow and become a better version of ourselves every single day. We're always reading, listening to podcasts, getting coaches, going to seminars, trying to do things that are out of our comfort zones, you know, trying to set goals, achieve goals, that kind of stuff. Right. I know you're the same way, Joe, very much. So, so if that's one of your personal values, then you don't ever want to hire somebody where that's not one of their core values because you won't get along. They'll actually frustrate you. You know, you'll start to say things like, does this person not care about growth? You know, maybe they don't and that's okay for them, but it's not going to be a good fit for you and them to work together. And it's been the same in our company too. The guys that we hire who are just like, yeah, man, I read rich dad, poor dad. And I've got my first rental property and I have a plan for, you know, and they're just so driven and you know, that type of dude, it's like yeah. what every guy in collective genius is like, basically. Yeah. We look for that in our acquisition managers and for everybody, really. It's a really important trait. And, you know, before we started this recording, you mentioned that uh, Frank Cava at CG talked about using a, a headhunter yeah. to find acquisition oh, yeah. managers to find great talent. But it costs, you know, thousands of dollars at least to get someone from that type of company. Um, well, I can tell you what's really worked for us that does not cost any money, at least a great way, you know, to hire your first acquisition manager. Uh, it's what we still continue to do. Not that the headhunter option is not better. I just haven't tried it. But we we kind of, I don't know if this is like discriminating and all, but we, we look for younger people that are just out of college huh. that haven't made a ton of money yet, but they're really hungry and they want to grow with a small business that has an unlimited potential for them. They're ready to just dive in and, and, and we invest a lot into them, get them whatever they need. And, and they really appreciate it, you know, versus hiring somebody who has 10 years of experience. They've been making six figures, you know, for as long as they can remember. And they feel like they know a lot because to me, it's tough to train somebody if they come into your business as a know-it-all. Of course, everybody's not like that. But young, just out of college, fresh, like hasn't made a lot of money, but 
sky's the limit kind of person is, um, has always worked out really well for us. Interesting. You know, um, you know, you know, another good, uh, uh, example of somebody to hire. And I, I wanted to hire this guy so bad, but I didn't have a, a an opportunity. By the way, uh, you should always be hiring. You should always be looking for good people mm-hmm. because you need somebody on the bench if you have to let your acquisition guys go. Because if you're in a place mm-hmm. where you got to fire them, but you can't because you don't have anybody to replace them, that's just bad news. But anyway, uh, used car lots. Go used car shopping, right? And uh, Or go to Orlando mm-hmm. or Branson, Missouri or somewhere where they have a lot of timeshares and try to find somebody who is like that, young, energetic, passionate, and is really good at sales. And sometimes they can make really, really good acquisition managers. Um, there's this one guy in particular who's just phenomenal. Um, he sold me a car that I probably shouldn't have bought, but I did anyway because it was what I <laughs> – it was kind of what I wanted. But he was so good. And I keep on thinking back like, man, I wish I would have hired him. So that is – that's really good. You should always be looking for people – to bring on to your team like that. Let me say one more thing too about the mastermind. Uh, you're absolutely right. This guy who's in the mastermind, one of the leaders in the group, his name is Frank Kava, and I'm hopefully going to be getting him on the podcast real soon. He's this guy is just a genius, and he sh- he dropped like some of the biggest gold nuggets that's ever been dropped at a mastermind that I've been in before. Just a couple days ago at this mastermind at Collective Genius, and talked about the whole hiring process for a company that's doing over a million dollars a year from finding the uh, the right people in each position, hiring the rock stars. It was really, really good. All right. I just wanted to say that. Did I, did I interrupt you, Brian? Did I? No, no, that's uh that's great. I was going to throw in one little uh, extra step there um, when you're talking about finding talent. So let's say you get it down to two or three candidates and you're trying to decide who to hire. I've got a little tip uh, that works wonders because people can say anything. They can score however on tests and stuff, but you don't really know how someone's going to work until they start working, yeah. right? Yeah. Until you know you hire them and you can see what kind of results they produce. So what we do is when we get it down to two or three candidates. And we actually do this for other types of positions. Like we did it for when we were hiring a lead manager too. We create a contest, hmm. a challenge between the top two or three candidates. And an example of what that would look like for an acquisition manager is just go into your database and get, uh, you know, a few hundred old dead leads or if you don't have leads, That's you can just fantastic uh, idea. the guys. Yeah, you can just instruct the guys to go onto Zillow and Craigslist and make calls and um, make offers or, or try to set appointments, wh- whatever it is. Uh, and then you give them one week. So it starts on Monday, ends on Friday. And then you see who does the best. Um, you basically, you know, by the end of the week, you'll look at the results. And let's say you had three guys that were in the contest. One of them usually drops out by the second day. <laughs> and he's usually your favorite guy, too. Yep. Your favorite guy will yep. drop out on day two and show you his true colors. Uh, guy number two will make about, you know, 30 phone calls and he'll set, you know, one appointment. And then the third guy will make 100 and, 
90 phone calls and it'll have, you know, six appointments lined up and somebody ready to sign a contract. Huh. So who are you going to pick? Yes. You know what I mean? That's and it's fun. usually the guy that you weren't really that excited about, you know, in the interview, which goes to show that we can't learn everything during interviews. So that little contest idea has saved us a lot of time because if you hire the wrong person, you'll usually keep them on too long and fire them too late. Yes. And then you lose all this time and all this money. So yeah, do that. That's fantastic. That, uh, (laughs) I love it. One of the things that, um, one of the things I've done before and I've also been the victim of is, uh, and I think I've talked about this before. So you guys have probably heard it who listened to this podcast, but I was in between jobs back in 2000 and, Two, no, two thousand and two thousand and six, two thousand and six. So this is three years before I quit my job, and I was trying to get a job at this wholesaling. This guy has a had a big real estate business here in St. Louis, and he posted a job looking for an acquisitions manager. Exactly what we're talking about here. And I applied for it. I went mm-hmm. in there, and uh, I had a resume. <laughs> I was wearing a, a tie and a jacket, you know. And I came in, and and I I thought I was smart. I don't I don't know if I had done I had bought some houses, but I hadn't done any wholesale deals. And I thought like I would be perfect for this guy because I knew I was really well educated. I understood everything. And like with within like two minutes, he said, "You know, I don't think you've got what it takes. I just don't think I don't think you got what it takes. You're an engineer, and you, no." And like he insulted me. Like I was like, "Whoa, oh." Mm-hmm. And I just kind of hung my head and I said, well, all right, sorry. And I got up and left. <laughs> right? And so... I'm sorry, I don't have what it takes. <laughs> yeah. You, oh, oh, thank God he didn't hire me, right? Because I was not the guy he was looking for. And I didn't know this until like a couple years ago when I was going through some sales mm-hmm. training. And, and I forget where it was. I think it was with Todd Toback. And... uh he was telling me, he said, okay, because I was looking to hire an acquisitions manager. And he said, all right, so this is what you need to do, Joe. When you've got like the two or three guys that you like, get them into your office and tell them, ask them this question. Tell me why you're a rock star that I need to hire. Just listen to them. And I don't care how much you like them. And no matter how awesome they are, you have to ask them this question. Or you have to tell them this thing. You have to tell them, listen, I don't think you're a rock star. I don't think you've got what it takes. And just shut up. Mm-hmm. You're looking for the guy who comes back and says, what are you talking about? Did you hear what I just said? Like, were you even paying attention? You're looking for the guy, not obnoxiously, <laughs> but the guy that comes back and, and, and over, tries to overcome that objection and answers like, no, you, you're wrong, right? So and then yep. that's, it dawned on me like, oh, that's what that guy was doing for, to me way back then. Like, eight, I don't know, it was five, six, yeah. seven years ago, right? No, that was that was a long time. That was like eleven years ago. Anyway, so that's another little test that you can do. Um, <laughs> but I love that what you were just talking yep. about. I mean, I'm sitting here looking at uh, John Martinez's acquisition interview questions, actually. Yeah, and he's got questions like, "How do you how do you know you could close a sale?" And then the next question is, or the next statement, it says, "I'm still not convinced." No matter what they say, I'm still not convinced. <laughs> right? Yeah. I don't feel like you're the right person. Yeah, because you're you're looking, and really, you know, 
you want your acquisition manager to, to close you at the end. Yes. yes you don't exactly. want them just kind of, you know, whimper off and say, all right, well, I hope to hear from you. Mm-hmm. You know, you want them to say, you know, what, what's, what's still holding you back? You know, what, what other hesitations do you have? Can I answer any more questions? When can I expect to hear from you? What else can I do to convince you I'm the right person? Somebody who can really handle rejection yes. and keep pushing forward. That's the hallmark of a great sales rep. Yes. Very good. Well said, Brian. Well said. Um, I'm looking at my notes of things I wanted to talk with you about. Um, cause we were kind of talking about doing deals virtually. I, I think the, of all those three guys that you talked about hiring acquisitions manager, office manager, marketing manager, probably, I mean, those are all three really, really important, but I think the most important one for us to talk about would be the acquisitions manager. Let me, let me ask you one more question specifically about how you communicate with your team. I mean, you've got your team, you're in Denver, they're in Nashville. Some of them are virtual working in their home. Some, maybe you have some virtual assistants in the Philippines. How do you, what are some of the tools you use to communicate with everybody, Brian? Um, so I'll start with, I guess the, um, practical stuff, which would be like, we, we use Slack for all of our internal communication with our team okay. and Voxer. We don't, really email each other or, or, uh, call each other that much. We do one call per week. So we have a, an org chart, you know, and I'm, I'm one of the CEOs and Frank is the other one. And I'm over marketing finances and operations. And Frank is over sales and our projects, basically okay. all of our rehabs. Okay. Uh, and so we divided the business up into those two areas and, so I have three positions under me. So I'll have three calls a week. Each one's like an hour or two. And it's a fixed time every week with that subordinate. And we have a very clear agenda each time. What are we going to accomplish over this quarter? All right, what are you going to do between this week and next to move that ball along? What are your KPIs? You know, what, what do you need from me, et cetera. And we, we call those our impact calls. We, I don't remember we, where we came up with that name, but we read the book, the, shoot, what is that called? Book Traction? Called Shet Holmes. Oh, the ultimate sales machine. No, uh, ultimate sales machine. He talks about like the removal of got a minute meetings mm-hmm. in that book. And he talks about how, like when he used to work at this company, people would always come by his office and say, Hey, got a minute, got a minute, got a minute. And all day long, he would just be getting distracted. Yeah. So we batch everything during that one call per week. So everything that needs to be talked about. And then everything else is just comments back and forth on Slack throughout the, the remainder of the week. Cool. Um, so that's, did that answer kind of how the communication looks? Yeah. So I guess once a week you do a conference call with everybody, right? Yeah, per person. Okay, per person, right. And then you've got, I love Slack myself as well. One of the main reasons why it puts, you can have different, how many channels do you have approximately inside of Slack? Probably 20 or something like that, 10 to 20, you know, a lot. Which is really cool because it's so easy to get conversations lost and and muddled when they are in an email. Because you have different, 20 different email threads and, you, you know, you can't remember like, what somebody sent something and you don't know where to look for it, find it. Or when you see an email, you have to try to get the context of what that email is about. 
And it's so much more efficient when uh-huh. you can you're, when everybody's on one platform like Slack. Where, all right, if you're talking about maybe you have a channel for rehabs, and maybe you have a channel for rehabs in a certain area of Nashville, right? So then, any conversation that goes mm-hmm. in there, you know immediately what that conversation's about. It's so helpful. I mean, I've almost completely removed email from any of our team communications because we keep everything in Slack, which is yeah. awesome. And, and when I want to send a document to somebody, yeah. I want to send it in Slack instead of – it's easier to send it in an email real quick, but I'd prefer to put it in Slack so that they can reference it and see it later. Yeah, I, I put stuff in Slack just so I know I can come back and search for it later. I'll just say uploading this for our reference and upload a, you know, a document or something. Yeah. Well, you and can even – You can think about even, all the different ways. I'm sorry, Brian. I was going to say you could even create a channel for documents. Yeah. You could create a channel for documents and just upload things in there. Yeah, yeah. We uh, we have a channel that's called expense requests because people need stuff like little things like, hey, uh, this subscription's going up twenty bucks extra a month. Can we pay for it or whatever? But we were getting texts or phone calls or Voxers or emails or every other thing you can think of, you know, to ask for that and a lot of other things. So why not have one fixed place where you talk about? each different topic. Uh, just, it's just, you know, it's a lot more sane. Very good. All right. Well, um, we've gone, we're almost at an hour here, Brian, and I, sh- I appreciate your time. It's super cool. Where is, we, we've talked about a lot of high level things on this podcast. I, I'm really glad to do that. It's for, there's a lot of people listening to this podcast who are, you know, they've already done their first deal. They've already done 20, 30 deals. And they're they're looking for how can I do more deals, and they're thinking about maybe expanding into new markets, growing into just growing in their business. How do I make it more professional, <laughs> like more like a business and not like a hobby? And that's there's some really important things that people need to be thinking about before they do that. And I think this all kind of is kind of comes full circle to what we talked about at the beginning. Uh, you guys listening to this podcast need to get in a mastermind. And if you can't find one, create your own of other people that are smarter than you. Hopefully, it's what you get. Other people that are smarter than you, but you still need to have something that you can contribute as well, right? Or else those smarter people aren't going to want to come to your mastermind. But start, it's just, it's such a phenomenal tool. You get to meet guys that are, you know, like Brian and his business partner, Frank, you know, who are doing amazing things, having a huge impact and inspiring other people. To do the same, uh, I know Brian, you're getting into some coaching as well, and, and you're talking about some of the clients that you're working with right now and doing some really cool things with them. So it's important, guys. Listen, it's important to start surrounding yourselves with people that are smarter than you, surrounding yourselves with like minded people who are going along the same direction as you want to go, and figuring out, okay, what works. You know, if you want a business that can make six figures in a month, well, then you need to start hanging out with people who are doing that already and model what they're doing, copy what they're doing, find out from their mistakes what's working for them and how you can start implementing that as well in your business. That's really good. Brian, how can people get a hold of you and and, uh, give you a call or chat if you're you're open to that? Oh, absolutely. So my website is my name.net. That's B R I A N E L L W O O D.net. 
you could also shoot me an email, brian at brianelwood.net. Uh, I do have a small consulting business. I can only take a handful of clients at a time. But, you know, I really love coaching and teaching and helping other people succeed. So, you know, just reach out and ask me a question. You know, I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to answer any question anybody may have. Very cool. Very cool. Brian, thanks so much for your time. Appreciate it, guys. Go to realestateinvestingmastery.com to get the show notes. Go back and listen to this again because we gave some really, really good, valuable gold nuggets in this podcast. And if you want to reach out to Brian, feel free to go to his website, brianelwood.net, B-R-I-A-N-E-L-L-W-O-O-D.net, or his email is brian at brianelwood.net. Guys, I know Brian. I know his business partner. I've seen his business. He's doing really, really well. If you are looking for, you want to maybe grow your business to the next level, give Brian a shout. You know, maybe some of you guys listening to this are in Nashville right now, <laughs> or you you want to start investing in Nashville, and maybe you've got some deals. Maybe you're looking for somebody to partner with on deals. Maybe looking for somebody that can help you find some money, maybe lend some money, partner with you on the rehab. Brian is always, I don't even have to ask you, Brian, if you're looking for deals right now, because I know you, I know you are, right? But uh, give, <laughs> give Brian yeah. a shout because um, there, he's one of the most active investors in the Nashville area. And so if you've got deals, if you're looking for someone to partner with, you need some buyers, maybe you've got a potential deal and uh, in the Nashville area or even around, you do other deals outside of Nashville, right? You're, you're, you're kind of, you've broadened a little bit, right, Brian? Yeah, we've kind of expanded to all the surrounding counties around Nashville. So probably about 10 counties in total now. Yeah. So give Brian a shout. All right, guys. Thanks a lot. Thank you again, Brian. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it.